Now turn with me once again to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Keep your Bibles open at this passage of Scripture. I want to speak to you today, just very simply, give you an overview of these verses and speak to you on the subject of lessons on godly parenting. Lessons of godly parenting from 1 Samuel chapter 1. There are many examples of godly parenting in the Bible, but I think this chapter stands out, and I know it's familiar to the majority of you in the meeting today. Here we have the home of Hannah. I don't want you to think that her home environment was easy because it was not an easy environment that she lived in. She was part of a polygamist marriage. Her husband Elkanah had taken unto himself two wives. Hannah is named first and then we have Penina in verse 2. Now that all sounds very strange to you and I living in 2023 in our own Christian background. And it's clearly against God's creative ordinance of Genesis chapter 2 of one woman, one man united together in matrimony. But many of the patriarchs, as we read the Old Testament scriptures, they practiced polygamy. The practice of having more than one wife. It was not specifically forbidden in the law of Moses, but it was certainly not endorsed by the law of Moses. And the scriptures, when it opens up the door of the homes of those polygamous families, it reveals to us the jealousies that were there and the conflicts that were there. And in any of those polygamous families that I read about in the Bible, there's always that tension within the home. I don't want you to think that Elkanah was an irreligious man. He was far from it. He was quite the opposite. He was a Levite. He was often in the house of God at Shiloh. It was frequently visited by him. He went by himself. He fulfilled the law of God. He took all the meals in his home uh, three times a year to it. And once a year he made the pilgrimage with all of his children and with all of his family to the feast at Shiloh. Bishop Hall in his contemplations, he describes Elkanah in the following manner in those polygamous customs of the day. He said, ill customs where they are once entertained are not easily discharged. Polygamy, besides carnal delight, might plead age and example, but now Elkanah, even though a Levite, is tainted with the sin of Lamech. And it's the same in our own day and generation. There are many things that we excuse as evangelical Christians because of our own culture. And we wipe our hands off it and we say, well, it's just culture. It's just how we have been brought up. The inner tensions of this family, they're all laid bare in chapter 1. When Elkanah and his wives went up to the feast at Shiloh, the Bible tells us that he gives to Penina and her sons and her daughters worthy portions of food to enjoy. None of them went hungry. And I think that ought to be the, the case when we come to the house of God. You know, when as parents, when you bring children to the house of God, it shouldn't be in fear and dread. You know, years ago, when we were children, when you misbehaved in church, you were told, wait till you get home. There's an awful thing when you go to church and you go back from it, you're going to meet uh, something that you don't want to meet. At all times, try to avoid that type of, of situation where a child identifies coming to the worship of God with the dread of going back home again and what they're going to meet when they go back home. This was a happy occasion 
It was a joyous it was a joyous time. Verse five tells us that to Hannah he gave to Penina and her family a portion. That was a good supply. But verse five tells us he gave to Hannah the worthy portion. That's like double helpings. That's exactly what it means. And this was his way of expressing his love for his wife and also to encourage her because the Lord had shut up her womb. She couldn't bear children. She was barren. And that was an awful thing to carry in those days of antiquity. Hannah was secure in the love of her husband, but she had to face the envy. She had to face the envy of Penina. And the Bible tells us that she provoked her. She provoked her. You know the old story goes, too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, if you get too many wives in the one kitchen, you're bound to get a lot of jealousy, grief coming in. The Holy Ghost even goes as far as to describe Penina as Hannah's adversary. It's an awful thing when your enemies are within your own home and within your own family. And she was made to feel so bad about herself and her barrenness that the Bible tells us that she just cried. She wept sore and she couldn't eat the double portion that her husband had provided for her. Now I love how it tells us here that Hannah did not return insult with insult. She was a very gracious soul. She could have said to Penina, well, Elkanah doesn't love you the same way he loves me because he's given me double the portion that he gave you. She could have said that, but she didn't. She didn't put, as it were, extra fuel on the fire. Elkanah loved Hannah for who she was and not for the children that she could bear him. And he was touched by her brokenness. The Bible tells us that. And he was touched by her tears and he tried to console her, but all was in vain. And when Hannah could not find comfort from her husband, and from the extended family, even that polygamous family of which she was a part, she found her comfort in taking her burden to God in prayer. What a lesson. She rose up hungry. The Bible tells us she rose up broken hearted. And she made her way to the temple where she poured her heart out before Almighty God. And I, I'm glad today whatever burden you're here with, maybe as a wife, Maybe as a husband, maybe as a distraught, worried parent, there's one universal remedy. And what is it? Just like old Joseph Scriven's hymn, Take It to the Lord in Prayer. There's one simple secret of godly parenting that we learn from the life of Hannah that is missing in so many homes today. I know there are many graces that you need to be a parent but undergirding them all is prayer. There are many lessons to be learnt from these opening chapters of 1 Samuel about being good parents. But this is the first lesson, brethren and sisters. And if you pass this lesson, you'll pass all the other challenges. And it's the challenge of being a parent who knows how to pray. So let's look at Hannah today. And there are many applicable lessons we can take from our life as you and I again come back to school, the school of God, and learn as parents how to pray. Look at verse 10 first of all. 
And we learn here about how passionate she was in prayer. This was no just, as it were, reading a prayer of the prayer book, getting through ritual and routine. Not that that is wrong in and of itself. I add that in there. But this was passion. This was the heart talking to God. She had come from the place of feasting, but she was weeping. Her emotions were raw and broken. And this tells us about her distress of soul. What clouded her mind more than anything else? It was her barrenness. She had a good husband, even in that polygamous relationship. She had a good home. She didn't want for anything. She had the double portion. She never went hungry. She never went cold. She had all the things that you need for the journey of life. But this one thing just occupied her mind. She couldn't have a child. And it overwhelmed her. Look at verse 2. The comments on her plate. It just simply says here, Hannah had no children. And that was in contrast to Penina, who had the sons and the daughters. Verse 5, further enlarges upon the predicament. It tells us why she had no children. The Lord had shut up her womb. And verse 10 tells us how passionate she was as a result of all of that in the place of prayer. I often think if our homes were to be opened up to the general public, and the church, even the church family was allowed to look into our homes and see our prayer lives. How barren would be our prayer lives? How lack of passion would be our prayer lives? The Bible tells us that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You're telling me you've been praying, but you haven't got through to God. Let me ask you the question, how passionate are you about what you're praying about? Has it broken your heart? Have you prayed with tears before the Lord? Verse 13 informs us that her passionate praying it was inaudible. She was before the Lord. This is very important to know. She was there to get through to God. She was disinterested really in the place where she was praying in the temple or in the persons who might be surrounding her and that's a good place to be when you're just caught up with the Lord. It's you and the Lord and you're just trying to get through personally to God in prayer. Sometimes, especially when it comes to the public place of prayer, Christians get tongue-tied because they're, they're afraid of what other people will think round about them. Am I pronouncing the words right? Am I saying it in the right order? Do I sound... What, I, we, we've all had those thoughts go through our head. But who are we praying to? Are we praying to God? Are we praying to those that are round about us? Let's take encouragement that God hears the faintest cry from the heart. She was praying from the heart. From the heart, Hannah cried unto God. And God heard the cry of her heart. I think of those words in Luke 6 and 45. It tells us, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Now you get that. 
of the abundance of the heart in the place of prayer, your mouth is going to speak. If your heart has no burden, if your heart is dispassionate and disinterested, your mouth will just reiterate what's going on in your heart and going on in your life. Such was her passionate praying that Eli mistakenly thought that she was drunken. Now, as we look at Eli, that was a very uncharitable judgment that he made of this worshiper in the temple to accuse her of drunkenness simply because she prayed unto the Lord. You know, Eli, though he was the priest and though God used him, Eli couldn't see past his own drunken sons who brought debauchery and disgrace into the temple. But he picked out this dear woman that was standing and praying from her heart, not inaudibly, but her, her lips were moving. It's often times, isn't it very true, we're good at pinpointing the problems with others and not looking at the problems in our own life or in our own family. She prayed silently with tears and anguish of soul. And her answer to Eli is just full of grace. Verse 15 and 16. It tells us what she said to him. <clears throat> no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful heart. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine hand made for a daughter of Belial. That's very significant. I was thinking of that as I read it in the past week. Hannah connected to be a daughter of Satan with drunkenness. But today, in our modern society, we equate drunkenness with being cool, being hip, being modern. Young people do not be deceived into thinking that drunkenness, as it were, will make you something in society. It will pull you right down to the very dregs of society. Hannah knew it to be so. Count me not as a drunken daughter of the devil. That's what she was saying. Her conscience was clear and she could speak with such confidence to Eli. You know, when your conscience is clear, you can speak confidently. That's why she could address even the priest in the temple. But to give him credit, he realized that he had erred and he quickly recanted. The best of men make mistakes. But the best of men know when they make a mistake to repent of the mistake. And that's what happened here. Instead of further questioning her or accusing her, he said, Hannah, I'll pray for you. And as the high priest, he granted her assurance that the God of Israel would grant her, would grant her uh, the petition which she had asked. She left assured. The Bible tells us she came broken. But the, the, the Bible reveals us when she left the temple that way, she went in blessing. She was no more sad. God had given her the assurance, the answer is on the way. May the Lord give to you and I today that assurance. The answer is on the way. Maybe you've been praying about something that's been troubling your heart for months, maybe for years. And you come to the point, just like Hannah is, you can go no further. May God give you the assurance today, the answer, it's on the way. I want you to notice secondly, the particular petition in her praying. Verse 11. We can't get away from it. How focused she was in her praying. She said give me a man child. 
Give unto thine hand made a man-child. It was God who had shut her womb. It was only God who could open her womb. And regardless of whatever secondary medical helps could be used, the Bible teaches us that the fruit of the womb is God's reward. The fruit of the womb is God's reward. In many circles today, children are seen as a nuisance. They're seen as something that will stop you going on with your career. They're seen as something that have to be disposed of. And sadly, in this evil, wicked world that we live in, there are thousands of children and they're being legally killed by the state every year. What does the Bible say? The fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are God's reward. They're God's reward to families. Those children that you have in the family today, those young people in the pews, they're God's reward and we should look upon it just in that particular manner. There's no record of uh, Penina praying for a child. That's ironic, isn't it? She'd never prayed and yet she had sons and she had daughters. And here we have this gracious soul, Hannah, and she's praying for a son and she is barren. And oftentimes, brethren and sisters, that is the way uh, providence works out our lot. God is the bestower of all things. And he knows when it's fit to withhold the blessing. He knows just the right time to give the blessing. And when he withholds it, it's for the trial of our faith, the exercise of our faith, the increase of our importunity in praying, even that, that sense of obligation that we have when God gives the answer. Don't be discouraged if the answer has not yet come. It doesn't mean to say it, it's not coming. I'd encourage you to pray on. I just want you to remember. I just want you to remember. God has a reason for his delays. But he also has a reason for his denials. It's very blessed to think that we pray for our children. Here was Hannah. She was praying for a child before the child was conceived. She was praying for the child before the child was conceived. We talk about praying for her children in the womb until the tomb. But here Hannah was praying before the child was even conceived. Samuel was born because a mother prayed. That's a wonderful truth. And before even our children are born, may we seek before God to make it a matter of prayer. Young Couples today need to pray about children, even before they are conceived. And when they're born, you'll pray for them. And when they're growing up, you'll pray for them. And I can tell you this today, that you'll be a parent until the day you die. In 1 Samuel one twenty-seven, her testimony was, For this child I prayed, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. It's wonderful we can look at our children and say, we prayed for them and God gave us them. God gave us the petitions that we asked for. The Bible has many examples of, of uh, children who were prayed for before they were even conceived. I think of Sarah. She was 90 years of age before she conceived and gave birth to Isaac. She was past the time of all child bearing 
And yet God miraculously intervened in her life. I think of Rachel. She went to her husband and said, Give me children or I die. And God gave her Joseph and Benjamin. Ruth was childless. God gave her a godly husband in Boaz. And God blessed that union and blessed it with a child called Obed. And Obed was, of course, the grandfather of King David. Elizabeth was the older cousin of Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus. She was past the time of bearing children, but God intervened in her life. And God gave to her and her husband a special son, who? John the Baptist. Prayer and childbearing and childrearing, they go hand in hand. Hannah, not just focused, but she submitted in her praying. I like the way she said, thine handmaid. If it's the will of God, I'm your handmaid. Give me a child, but if it's not your will, I'm still your servant. She was resigned to that reality. And all her petitions, all her petitions must have the DV in it. The God willing, if it is the will of God, God, give to me the answer only if it is your will. Look at the promise she made in prayer. Verse 11. The promise took the form of a solemn vow. She promised that if the Lord would give her a son, then then she would give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. He would be a Nazarite. In other words, no razor would come upon his head. He would have long hair. I suppose there are many evangelical Christians today they think men with long hair, they're not very godly. If you've been living in First Samuel time, you'd have seen it the other way around. Numbers 6 and 5, it says, All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. What did Hannah do? Well, in faith, she gave her firstborn son to the Lord. The firstborn in the Bible is always a very special significance in it. And Hannah gave the firstborn to the Lord, and he said, she, she said he would be separated unto God. His would be a life of service. His would be a life of devotion in the work and in the service of Almighty God. Now, the Bible reminds us, It's better not to vow unto God than to vow and break it. Ecclesiastes 5 and 5 says, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And I just want to challenge every parent here today. Because over the years at infant dedications and baptisms, parents have made solemn vows before Almighty God. I want you to know God will hold you accountable for those vows. And God will demand the payment. The first mention of the word vow is in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 20. Remember how Jacob was leaving his home and he stopped at Bethel and he worshipped God and he vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on and so forth. And he vowed a vow. Twenty years later, 
He came back via Bethel once again. He came back a rich man. A wealthy man. Came back with flocks and herds and wives and children. And the Lord met with him. And he said, I'm the God of Bethel where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowedest a vow unto me. Twenty years later, God hadn't forgotten about the vow. There's some of you and your children are 20, 30, 40. But you vowed a vow. And though they're left your home, you're still accountable to God for holding on to God for your children and even for your children's children. Parents who make promises before God have to keep those promises. Hannah kept her promise because the Bible tells us when Samuel was weaned from his mother so he could, he could, he could survive without his mother. Probably three to four years he was taken to Shiloh and he was left in the care of Eli to train as a Levite in the service of the tabernacle. You can read about that verse 24 to verse 28. I don't want you to think that Hannah deserted her son or that Elkanah deserted his son. They didn't do that. But they had dedicated him to God before he was born. And so the day came when the promise had to be fulfilled and they had to give up that which they promised unto God. And they had the privilege of teaching him in those formative years. And they would continue to visit him in the temple where he stayed with Eli. But more importantly, their prayers, especially the prayers of Hannah, followed him every step of the journey. What a lesson. Our prayer petitions should surround our children every step of the journey. We remember the boys and girls as they start school, restart school, some starting and some many restarting school again this week. We remember those who have left school going out into college for their education. Chapter 2 opens up with that great statement, Hannah prayed. She prayed in chapter 1, God gave her a son. She didn't stop praying, she prayed. Not wonderful. When God gives you the answer, don't stop, just continue. Hannah prayed and she's praying for her son because she knows her son now is at the temple and Eli's at the temple but there are also two ungodly sons of Eli at the temple, temple, Hophni and Phinehas. And we read that God answered her prayer. In verse 11 of chapter 2, the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. He ministered unto the Lord. At this time, he didn't even know the Lord, but he was ministering unto the Lord. Before Eli the priest, in verse 18, we read, Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. He had even the garment on of the priesthood. Verse 26, we read, Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also uh, with men. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, this wonderful ministry of Hannah. Hannah prayed, chapter 1. Hannah prayed, chapter 2. And in chapter 3, we read, And the child ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, it's as if there's two parallel worlds going on in those chapters. Because at the same time, in chapter 2, we read in verse 12, that the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. I think it's really amazing in my mind that old Eli, he called Hannah a daughter of Belial. 
But it really was his sons who were the sons of Belial. They were drunkards. They were thieves. They had brought immorality into the very holy place of God. And in the midst of all of that, young Samuel was being brought up. And God's hand was upon him. And God was keeping him. God was watching over him. And God was guiding him. And God was going to use him to such an extent that throughout all of Israel, no word of Samuel could ever fall. There's a sequel, of course, to this opening chapter. Hannah kept her promise. She, she gave her beloved son to God's service. There's some parents, you know, if, if their children were to go and tell them, Dad, Mum, I, I want to be a minister. I want to be a missionary. They would say to them, Now, son or daughter, is that a good pathway? Is that a good career pathway? The day will come when you have to give what you promised to God. But I want just to reassure you, God will give abundantly more back to you. Because we read in First uh, Samuel 2, verse 18 to 21, that God gave to Elkanah and Hannah five more children. Five more sons and daughters. God honoured them. God honoured them in a wonderful way. First Samuel 2.21 It says the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And then just this postscript about Samuel. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. I think that little postscript, that last phrase... It best summarizes our desire for our children that they grow before the Lord. You know, our children have to go, many of them will go in the next few weeks into state schools. Some of them will go to secondary school. Some of them will go to college. Some of them will go to university. Will God keep them in all of those places? He will. He can. And he does. The child grew before the Lord. In the midst of all of the sin that was going on in the temple, the double life of Eli and his family, here was Samuel and he was growing before the Lord. That gives me great heart and encouragement as I think of so many of our children from Christian homes and families over the next weeks who will start new places and who will come into contact with ungodly company and influences. And we give them over to God as Hannah and Elkanah had to do and we thrust them into his hands and into his keeping in third john verse four the apostle said i have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth that's our desire that children would grow before the lord and we have no greater joy than to hear that they walk in truth whether they be the minister, whether they be the missionary, whether they be the doctor, the solicitor, the carer, the farmer, the factory worker, whatever they're going to be, so long as they walk before God and grow in truth. That's our objective. 
May it be said of Bailey. May it be said of all the children in the, the congregation. It's the heart desire of every Christian parent I know today in the gathering that their children grow before the Lord and walk in truth. Maybe you're with us today and you don't know the truth because you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to remind you of some truths before we say our final amen. The truth is, without Jesus, you're lost for all eternity. Doesn't matter what career path you have, doesn't matter how successful you will be, without him you're lost for all eternity. And the truth is that Christ came into the world to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. He came to seek and save lost boys and girls, lost men and women. He went the whole way to Calvary. And there he suffered, bled and died for the lost that he might bring them to God. And the truth is, if you come to Christ today and repent of your sin and receive him as your saviour, he'll make you his own. Not just for time, but for all of God's eternity. And he'll take you on to himself at the end of life's journey. That is gospel truth. That's what it is to walk in the light of that gospel truth. That's what it is to grow before the Lord. We pray God will bless all the boys and girls here and on along, all the families that are with us today, all those visiting families of, of Claire and Leslie and all the ones that are in for the bank holiday weekend. May our young ones grow before the Lord. May they walk in truth. May they grow up to be men like Samuel who leave an imprint for God in their day.